Triple, thank you. Any other? We're little. I know this is supposed to be a sermon, but audience participation is welcome. <laughs> Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. Thank you, Greg. Don't be concerned about today. No. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And isn't that the truth? <laughs> got enough going on today, we don't have to worry about tomorrow. Yeah, you know, as I was thinking through this talk, I had a hard time coming up with any places where Jesus really told people to worry. Now, he did say um, that we should pray about things. And he said that we should be concerned in some ways about some things. Uh, but really not what we would call or think of typically as worry. So, um, I think uh, that's a good sermon. We can probably wrap it up. <laughs> Just a couple. It doesn't do you any good. Well, it doesn't do you any good. So, who of you can even add one inch to your stature or increase the hair on your head? It doesn't work, does it? You know, I, I think that's really important because uh, we think we can do so many things, don't we? Uh, we really kind of overestimate our and, and that's probably part of the reason we're prone to worry so much, because we really think we're the ultimate authority and control in our lives. And so then we really have to worry about everything, because we're the ones <laughs> who are able to do everything and then control everything. Well, that's a very anxious way to live, isn't it? Uh, when we think that we are the ones that have to sort it all out. Now, certainly God has created us with talents, with minds that work well with abilities. He's given all of these, and, and we've been, in many of those respects, been created in his image. Um, he has not given to us the ultimate responsibility um, for our life, and that's exactly what Jesus said. He said, don't worry about it. Um, what are we supposed to, he did say that we're supposed to, something is supposed to fill our attention, right? Seek first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things will be added unto you. So there are things for us to focus on, to be concerned with, and concentrate. It's not worrying about our lives or the things we need. Um, okay, we kind of already answered these questions, but I just wanted to review a few. Um, I think we would all agree the Bible says worrying doesn't do us a lot of good. Uh, do any of us, despite that, still find ourselves worried? Um, now, maybe I want to ask for you personally, because then that would be a little personal to divulge, but what are some things you might have heard your friends or family worrying about recently? Trouble in the world. Our world is troubled, isn't it? Um, anybody, any specific troubles in the world? Yeah. So much crime is happening now because the criminals came over across the border from other places, Las Vegas, and all the things going on are so much more so now. Crime, mm -hmm. yeah. maybe we could say lawlessness in different respects. Um, certainly, uh, we have that in our country. Anything else that people may worry about in our society? Their health. Okay, thank you, Zico. Um, I know people who are perfectly healthy who are very worried about their health. I don't know if any of you know them. I also know people who are quite sick, uh, who are also worried about their health. Um, I think the church knows, but for our visitors, um, my wife has stage four breast cancer and has for the last six and a half years. So health concerns are no, um, no stranger 
to us. And if I was going to be honest, it was probably health concerns more than anything. Um, when I thought about my own life, about actually sharing this, this, these thoughts, because um, I think we all live between, you know, these kind of two thought patterns, right? On one hand, we know Jesus said, don't worry about things, right? Worry about the kingdom of heaven. That's where we want to live. And then sometimes something will happen. Or we'll read a story or have a conversation. And we kind of switch back to, oh, no, now what's going to happen? I'm worried about this. Um, I know I have gone between those two phases um, for our family and for my wife's health um, over the last six and a half years. Um, so health, yes, many people are worried about their health. Anything else? Scripture tells us, do not be anxious for anything uh, because God cares for you. Amen. He knows when we're struggling and he wants to help us. Right. And that's going to be kind of the, the meat of the message today. Thank you, Greg. Like I said, we pretty much all have already hit the high points. Um, so I just want to say maybe a couple other things about the trouble in the world, because I know there are some people who are very worried about that. Um, the Bible says in the, the end times, people's hearts will fail from fear. Um, I think we see that happening around us. It didn't just start. Um, certainly the COVID, coronavirus pandemic caused a lot of fear um, that we could see around this. Um, and now, you know, the world is not at rest. And we know that there is a war going on. Uh, we know that the president of our country just last week said we're closer to a nuclear conflict than we've ever been in the last 60 years. If that's not something that doesn't make you perk up, <laughs> um, I don't know what is, right? Like, we could, we could, uh, we could worry about that. And probably, if we're honest, we all we all have given that a little bit of thought, and some of those thoughts have probably been on the, the edge of what we would consider work. Um, we have a divided country, don't we? Um, yeah. Our country is divided. Um, this country that celebrates so many good things historically, such as freedom and you know opportunities, uh, safety. Um, our country has has really had a hard time agreeing on how to pursue those ideals and goals. And and I think as Christians, we look to the kingdom of heaven and our king, right, to fulfill those goals for us. Um, but certainly many in our country look to the political framework, leadership, and machine to give them peace in those areas. And there's a lot of strife. And there's a lot of people worried about our country and, and those divisions. Um, well, maybe a, not such a heavy one, but what about gas prices? <laughs> they go it up, huh? And, and, you know, that's not an insignificant concern. Um, the people I work, um, I spend my time at SAC Clinic um, in San Bernardino. Um, I work in the administration there. And, and one of our new initiatives is looking at really the social determinants of our population. It's kind of a big word, but basically, do our, do our patients have enough food? Do they have a car? Um, do they have a place to stay at night? Uh, and, you know, these are major factors in people's well-being and their health. And, and that's why, as a clinic, we're looking into, you know, how can we really help start working to help support patients in, in these areas? And I think this is no, I think Bonnie is somebody who's going to talk to, because <laughs> she's got a lot of experience in that area. Um, when you don't have a house, when you don't have food, those are things that are going to really 
be on your mind, right? Um, and and things that may lead you to worry. Okay, um, so so we can agree the the world looking at the world isn't going to give us a lot of peace. Uh, we got a lot of stuff going on. It's not going to um, make us feel at ease, uh, and that's why I think Jesus told us, you know, in this world, what are we going to have? We're going to have trouble. He told us that. I mean, you could almost think of it like one of the promises in the Bible. <laughs> in this world, you're going to have trouble. It's going to come. Uh, my kids can attest one of my favorite songs by Rich Mullins is, there's bound to come some trouble in your life. Happy um, shaking your head. Uh, yeah, there's bound to come some trouble in your life. The, the song is basically about, it's bound to come some trouble in your life. Uh, don't spend your life trying to avoid trouble, but trust in Jesus because he's the one who can give you peace in the middle of that. Okay, well, thank you for that kind of preliminary discussion. Um, maybe one last question before we kind of dive into I have one slide and then a couple illustrations and, and we'll be done. Don't worry, my kids don't let me talk for a long time. <laughs> um, otherwise, they would tune out. Uh, one more question. Why do we worry? Does anybody have any thoughts on that? Uh, we've established, you know, the Bible says worry isn't, the Bible has established worry isn't going to help us. Um, God is going to help us, but worry isn't. Yet, in our human nature, I think we all have felt what worry feels like to different degrees. Um, what is it that moves us towards worry? Uncertainty. We know we don't know everything. And yet, if we think we're supposed to be in charge of everything, and we don't know everything, that's <laughs> very unsettling. We know we don't. Thank you. Do I have anything else? Fear. Fear. All right. And what moves us towards fear? Fear of God, fear Losing things. Exactly. Losing, losing our things, losing our self-respect, um, losing our reputation. Uh, it can come in lots of different ways, but I think fear always has to do with losing something in my life. So, you know, we're going to lose something that we care about, maybe losing people. Um, and, and so we get these feelings that we know we don't know everything, but we also actually know we're not in control of everything. And so then we can bridge those uncertainties with what we call fear and worry. Now, how much good does that do us? Not a whole lot. Um, not when it just stays in us. And that's why the Bible says consistent. We need to take this to God. Okay. Um, I have a quote that I'd like to share. Um, thank you to Abby for writing this down for me. This is from the Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings, one of my favorite books by a little lady named Ellen White, um, who has blessed me immensely. Uh, this is from page 100. And it says, this is under the Be Not Anxious for the Morrow chapter. When we take into our hands the management of things with which we have to do and depend upon our own wisdom for success, we are taking a burden which God has not given us and are trying to bear it without his aid. We are taking upon ourselves the responsibility that belongs to God, and thus are really putting ourselves in his place, which some would call idolatry. We may well have anxiety 
and anticipate danger and loss, for it is certain to befall us. But when we really believe that God loves us and means to do us good, we shall cease to worry about the future. We shall trust God as a child trusts a loving parent. Then our troubles and torments will disappear, for our will is swallowed up in the will of God. I find this very comforting, as well as a little bit of a rebuke. <laughs> You know, when I get on that worry thought pattern, I'm really doing something that God did not want me to do. And I'm kind of putting myself in his place, because he is the one who's supposed to be managing and, and taking care of me. Okay, um, Jedediah and Louisa, I think I'm ready for that slide. I have one slide I want to share with you. Some of you may have seen this. Okay, oh, thank you for the lights and all. Has anybody seen this slide? Does anybody know what this is? Good. Okay, this is a picture of outer space. Um, this is a picture from the James Webb Space Telescope. Now, I'm not an astronomer. I'm probably going to mess this up. Uh, but what I understand, the James... So you've heard of Hubble. I think Hubble Telescope was out there floating around for a while. Um, this is the next generation. Um, inter-deep space telescope. So basically what happened was this telescope was launched up into space. I think it's something like a million or two million miles away from Earth. Um, and that helps in some way <laughs> with the resolution. But what they can do with it is they basically point it towards a dark part of the sky. So, you know, the, the telescope has a certain amount of aperture, which is very little. And it it magnifies the light coming into the telescope from a long distance away. Now, I'm not an astronomer. I know there's some people that may um, argue about uh, the, the use of light years, but just to use what the scientists say about this picture, um, they would say that, Caleb, are you looking at the pictures now? Okay, so they would say that this picture is about reflecting light from 8 billion light years away. Okay. Now, that probably boggles. That should boggle your mind. Like, don't worry about that, because it's just not going to do you any good. <laughs> 8 billion light years. So one light year is about 1 times 10 to the 12th um, miles. So one light year is 1 times 10 to the 12th, so it's like 1 quadrillion miles. And then you figure that times 8 billion, and you're, all of our heads are swimming, right? So this is, this is a picture from a long way away, okay, in a dark corner of the universe. And what do we see? Well, those bright, shiny um, things are stars. You can kind of see the, the refraction of the light that goes into six points. Um, and then there's those fuzzy things. And they're like, what are those fuzzy things? Well, um, can we go to the next slide, please? If you kind of squint or on your phone, you can kind of pinch it. I don't know. It doesn't really show up all that clearly here. But maybe if you look at the bottom right, like right here, you get a little more of the idea. Like those little fuzzy cloud things are galaxies. Okay, so just think. Um, all of those little fuzzy pieces here on the slide are galaxies. Okay, now the Milky Way is a galaxy that we live in, um, these galaxies are a long way away from our galaxy. 
to the order of 8 billion light years away. And this is a small little <laughs> angle um, section of the universe. You know, I, I think what is kind of the point of this? The point is our universe is really big and immense. Um, and, and either we believe that God reigns supreme and sovereign over that, or we don't. Um, but if our universe is that big, and as I believe, God reigns sovereign over it, um, then God is also really, really big. Um, and even though my life and our troubles on this earth seem big to me, they're probably not big problems for him. Uh, he has designed and created this universe um, that is immense and amazing. He can probably also handle the problems in our life. Okay, why don't we leave that slide up there? I might come back to it, but we can turn the lights on. Uh, you can just see the slide in the backdrop and think about it while we're talking. Um, I wanted to take just uh, a couple minutes and, and in this theme of Don't Worry About Your Life, talk through the story of Job. Okay, we are familiar with the story of Job. Um, you probably heard it. I'm going to just paraphrase it, maybe in a slightly different way than you've heard it before. Um, Job was a righteous man living a long time ago. Uh, we know that Job lived for, I believe it's 120. I'm sorry. He lived a long time, and so just from his lifespan, we can kind of place him in the, the human being, <laughs> you know, how long. He lived at least 200 years by my calculation, so he was back, um, that's around the time of Abraham, as far as I read, how long people lived. He may have lived even longer, or, you know, before Abraham. But what do we know? The Bible says Job was a righteous man, but he lived... Um, he lived righteously in in the sight of God on earth. And so this actually caused Job a little bit of a problem, didn't it? So one day, um, God and the angels and Satan were having a little discussion in heaven, and Job came up, and God was, Job, God was bragging about Job. Um, that led to some unfortunate consequences in Job's life, but really illustrates the... the Surprising freedom that God gives in this universe. I'm sorry, just one second. Caleb, please come sit on the floor. So, unfortunately, um, because of that, Job experienced loss in his life, didn't he? We know that Job lost all of his sons and daughters and all of his animals. He was a rich man. He lost all of his animals, all in a single day. And so everything from Job was swept away. Now, uh, if you want to think about something that could make you to worry, that might be it, wouldn't it? You could have, you could lose everything in a single day. And yet, at the end of the first chapter of Job, I think this is a good example, and many of us have probably thought of this, what did Job do? Well, he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away, in the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. I'm sorry, I meant to start in verse 20. But this Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship. So Job felt the pain of loss. He lost a lot. Probably more than anybody, any of us have lost in one day. Right? Um, and yet, in the middle of that pain, 
Um, he brought his fame to God and he worshiped, fell on his knees and worshiped in the middle of his pain. I would suggest that as we are in troubled times, there may be loss. We know in this world we'll have trouble. We know that that trouble sometimes leads to loss. Um, may we remember the, the example of Job in the middle of that loss. Let us worship. You know, there are so many things we don't understand. Job didn't know what was going on. He did not know that this was a, in a sense, a direct result of his righteous life in serving God. And yet, um, he exemplified that righteousness in the way he dealt with this loss. He worshiped God. And we know the next chapter, um, it got worse. Job didn't only lose his children and his animals and all his possessions, he lost his health. Um, and, you know, the, the story of Job is really a pretty long book. It's about 42 chapters. Now, I think that's for a reason. I never really... I never really tracked very well with those 42 chapters. It's kind of long, you know, poetry, uh, especially as a child. I never, I don't think I ever really read it. I read it once probably because I was supposed to, and then I didn't really read it. But as an adult, I've kind of gone back to see, and there's really only, you know, it's expressed over and over and over with slightly different slants in it, but there's really only two things being said, <laughs> um, two main things being said by Job and his friends. Job is saying, I don't understand what's going on. I just don't know. But I wish I could talk to God about it. Um, I wish I could really have a conversation with God. And his friends, though, they're, they're not so lost. Um, his friends are pretty quick. His friends say, Job, these bad things happen because you're a sinner. And it's pretty simple. <laughs> you <know>? Job, <clears throat> you've done something. And we're not going to say, well, sometimes in some of their poetry, they did say what he had done. They clearly said your children died because they were sinful, um, which must have been a little bit painful. And so, you know, in Job, who is a righteous man suffering, he's saying, I don't understand. I don't know what's going on. But faith does come through, right? Job, but, but Job does not only have, um, what would I say, monologues that are worthy of emulation. Um, some of Job's chapters are, are pretty raw. Right? They, they express how he's feeling as a hurting human being. Um, he even says that he wished that he'd never been born. Um, and he says some pretty honest things to God. I really wish that I could talk to God because I don't think this is fair. Um, and again, his friends are incensed by this. They said, Job, you can't talk that way to God. This is happening because you're a sinner. Well, you know, then the dialogue goes on between these two groups till um, chapter 38, <laughs> um, which I just think is a beautiful, um, I love the last four chapters in Job. I don't know the last time you read them, but let me suggest if and when there are things in life that happen that don't make sense for you, I would suggest reading those chapters, Job chapter 38 to 41, because this is God's response. So, you know, we know what happened. We know that Job was righteous, that Satan caused all his destruction and pain and illness. And then he was left there to kind of process it with his friends. And, you know, I think that's for a reason, because we're all in the middle of doing the same thing. We're trying to process the loss, the fear, the hurt, and the pain inside, too. And his friends are sure they know why it happened. Job is not sure why it happened. He's very, um, he's kind of lost. But then God comes, you know, God lets them talk, <laughs> he lets the humans um, have their conversations, 
but I love the first words that God says. Um, when the Lord answered Job, this is Job chapter 38, the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? You know, I, I just think, um, and then basically God goes on to ask Job a series of questions in four chapters. Questions that no human being knows the answer to. Like, were you there when I formed the world? Were you there when I called up the stars? Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? <laughs> the mountain goats are hard to find because they live way up on the snowy mountains and they're white too. Um, so actually seeing a mountain goat, especially when it's given birth, is exceedingly, exceedingly rare and unlikely. Um, and then he goes on to talk about Leviathan. Who can, you know, can you um, take care of Leviathan? Can you deal with these evil things in the world? Um, and the rhetorical answer to all of these questions is absolutely not. <laughs> and from that whole, you know, that, that questioning, which I just find so comforting, all of those questions, and the answer is I don't know, right? God is asking Job, and Job would just be like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Like, okay, 8 billion light years away? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's just too much for me. Um, and that's kind of how God's part of this conversation ends. And then Job says these, these, you know, really kind of beautiful words in Job chapter 42, where he says, and again, remember, Job was proclaimed by God as a righteous man before this all. He was in the end, exonerated by God as a righteous man who said what was right about God after it happened. So even though he said, God said that uh, that statement did not speak. That's right. Job. That's right. And then he asked Job to pray for the Jesus. That's right. Very good, Catherine. Exactly. Um, the, the three friends, you were saying, Job, you're a sinner. And that's why this happened to you. They didn't say what was right about God. God is not just a black and white uh, God that lives in this universe where everything bad that happens in this world is because of your own sin. That's not the right thing to say about God. That's not the right thing to say about his government. God is a God of freedom. And this world is suffering under the curse of sin. And they did not say good things about God. They did not say what was right about him. And so after this experience with God, Job says in Job chapter 42, 5 and 6, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. You know, seeing the glory of God, the magnanimity of God, how great and glorious God was, all the things that God knew that Job had never even thought about. Like he hadn't thought about the storehouses of hail reserved for the day of judgment, or the storehouses of rain to water the earth. Like he'd never thought about those things until God asked him those questions. Um, once Job saw that picture of God, then he then he said, you know what? Now I've seen you with my eyes and I repent. Like you are God. And once again, I would say on a deeper level, worshiped God because of the this view of God's transcendence and how great God was. And, you know, isn't that kind of our experience? Right? Like, we go through this life, um, we have challenges, and we could all probably make a pretty good list of the challenges we have in our lives today. Jesus has said, in this world, you will have trouble. Unfortunately, in our American dream backdrop state of mind, we think 
um, that if God is going to be good to us, that we're not going to have any challenges in this life. Unfortunately, that's not really how it plays out for most of us, is it? Um, God is good. He does take care of us. He gives us peace in the middle of it. But Jesus even promised that there would be trouble in this world. And so in the middle of that trouble, we can think of Job going along. Um, we don't know why the trouble happened, like Job. We don't know why these things are happening. Sometimes it might be because of the sin in the world. Sometimes it might be because we were doing what was right, like Job. Sometimes it might be because of our own personal choices and some things we have done wrong. Um, but we don't always know why the trouble comes. But as it comes to us, uh, we're like Job and his three friends trying to make sense out of it, saying, boy, I wish I could talk to God and I wish I could understand it. Or maybe we're like the three friends, like, I know why this happened, especially for somebody else. It's a little easier for us to um, be judgmental about somebody else and why they're having trouble. Um, but then in the end of all that, at some point, God shows up. And he says, you know what, there's a few other things that you may not really understand. And asks us a few questions or reveals his love to us in a deeper way. Or maybe we see a picture of this, the, the universe and how big it is. And we realize, you know what, uh, we don't. <laughs> we don't know everything. And since we don't know everything, we, we can come to a place where we trust the one who does. We can trust God, the one who hangs these galaxies in orbit and makes sure that they're, they're okay. I had kind of a, an illustration of this this last week. Um, you can kind of see it on my head. Um, I had three um, skin cancers. So one I'd had for a long time. So it was time to deal with it. Um, I didn't think I'd, I'd have this show for the sermon, but um, it was on Monday. So I went to the, it was a Mohs surgeon. So they try to take out as little extra skin as possible, but they want to get all the skin cancer. So they take some out, and then they go look at it under the microscope. They say, did we get it all, or we didn't get it all? Well, they had to come back and take a little more out, and then they got it all. So the, cancer, the skin cancer was out. But then there was kind of like, you know, a hole <laughs> where they had taken it out. So um, they had to fix that. So that's called the repair. Um, so because there were three, they got kind of fancy with my repair. You'll see it, but it's still kind of healing. Um, but the repair took longer than the surgery. So the surgery took about, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes to make sure they got everything. The repair took two hours. So I was laying under there a little bit. I mean, I thought it was going to be a fairly minor thing. A little bit unprepared. Uh, you know, they put the blankets over your face um, so that nothing gets in there. But I was fully awake. Uh, and they had to, you know, do a repair. So that required a little bit of reworking uh, of my forehead. And as I laid there for two hours under the blankets, you know, I heard the instruments kind of clicking. <laughs> um, and, you know, I don't know if this happened to anybody else, but, you know, you're kind of laying under there and just imagining what's going on. <laughs> you know, like you can't see it because you're covered up. There's no video or mirror for you to see what's going on. But, you know, I, I would just kind of picture how they were parting up <laughs> the front of my head. And, and as I did that, you know, sometimes may, maybe dental work would be a good comparison, right? Like when you hear what's going on, like you can't see that either. Um, but I was sitting there, you know, just kind of picturing it. And then I found myself like sometimes worried. Like, oh, man, I wonder what, what they're doing now. <laughs> oh, I wonder if they did that right. 
And as I laid there, because I knew this, you know, sermon was coming, I just thought, you know, this is the perfect example. I'm laying down here. I cannot see what's going on. I am not a Mohs surgeon or a dermatologist that would be skilled enough to put my forehead back together. But that's why I came to see these people, right? They are trained in this. Um, they can actually see what's going on up there. They know what each noise represents, and they know what they're doing. And I thought it was just the perfect illustration for how we do in life, right? We go through life. Uh, we have trouble. We have joys, too. I'm sorry if I feel like I'm emphasizing the trouble. Um, but what we tend to worry about is more the trouble than the joys. So as we come through some troubles, maybe we tend to worry about them. But we're just like we're just like the patient, just like me, laying underneath those tiles. Like we really don't know what's going on, do we? If we were going to be honest, we don't know, and we really can't change the big things that are beyond our control either, can we? Like Job couldn't really change it. Like like Jesus said, you can't add an hour to your life. We actually know um, scientifically you can subtract a lot of hours from your life by removing. You can't add it. It doesn't really do any good. And so instead of us worrying about the future or worrying about losing things that we really can't control or hang on to in this world, um, I would encourage us all to do what Jesus said. Um, he said, seek first the kingdom of heaven. So we bring our lives, we bring the threats that may be against them, the trouble that comes into them, and we bring them to God. And we say, God, we want you we want you to be the one who is glorified in our lives. We want your kingdom to be built up. And as you know, trouble comes, may that be uh, something that you use for your kingdom to, to bring good from it. Because those are the other examples we have in the Bible. Um, obviously, there was an example of Paul who got something he didn't want. Um, he called it a thorn in his flesh. Uh, he, he asked God to take it away, and he wanted it to be gone. Um, and, you know, we can relate to that. I think our family can relate to that. We wanted cancer to be gone from our family. Um, it is still with us today. Uh, but then in the middle of that experience, what did God say to Paul? Thank you, Catherine. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. My grace is made. Uh, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I'm just going to finish where you started, Catherine. Therefore, I, so this is Second uh, Corinthians 12, 9 and ten. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, and in hardships, and persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak. Then I am strong. It's the complete opposite of our typical approach to life. Our typical approach to life is, I am worried about me, right? I want my life to be good. I want to avoid hardship and trouble. I want to get through life in an easy fashion. That's kind of how most of us as human beings approach life. Paul's saying the exact opposite. And Paul suffered a lot. He did. He suffered a lot. They were. They were. And he said these hardships glorify God, right? God's grace is 
is set on a pedestal in the middle of these hardships, like my grace is sufficient for you. And so then what am I going to glory in? Is it is it this life that is protected and safe? No, he said, I'm going to glory in these difficult situations because God's grace is going to show up and it's going to be sufficient. And then other people are going to see it and it's going to be a blessing. And so I think that's an example uh, for us, much like um, very similar to the story of Job. Maybe as one final closing verse um, for this conversation, I think, uh, Craig, you alluded to this earlier. Um, Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And maybe just to stop there for a second. When we pray, we have requests, we have problems, we're anxious, we're worried about something, we take it to God, right? Instead of worrying about it um, and putting ourselves in the place of God, take it to God. And put God in the place of God and say, God, I'm worried. And this is beyond my ability to control. Please help me. Um, and then thank him, right? Why do we thank him in the middle of that? Because, I mean, one simple reason. God is good. Right? God is good. And he, his arm is not too short to say. Right? If he can handle 8 billion light years of galaxies, he can handle what's going on. He can bring something good from it. And that is the reason we don't have to worry about it ourselves. What will happen then? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. I don't we pray. Dear Lord, we want to thank you that you are God. You are the one who knows our lives, how many hairs we have on our head, and each sparrow that falls. And yet, if you juggle the universe that is light years, billions of light years in its breath, um, we thank you for the privilege of being called your children, uh, and that we don't have to worry about our lives, because you promised to take care of us. In your name we pray. Amen.